Welcome to Biblical Christian Worldview's Selective Article Podcast. So let's get started. Today's podcast is entitled 12 Quick Answers on the Supreme Court, Abortion and Biblical Christians. There's been a great deal of controversy and confusion associated with the decision by the Supreme Court regarding what was considered by many to be settled law in the case of Roe v. Wade on the subject of abortion. Much of the rhetoric in the media and elsewhere has revolved around the false assumption that pro-life advocates have been the catalyst for this upheaval. Further, since the Bible offers what many Christians believe is a clear message that sentient life begins in the womb, there is further vitriol toward biblical Christians as the underlying cause of the court's reasoning. Below is a short and tight Q&A responding from a biblical Christian worldview. One, what in brief did the Supreme Court originally decide in the case of Roe v. Wade back in 1973? In a 7-2 decision, the court held that the 14th Amendment to the Constitution which includes a provision that Americans have a fundamental right to privacy, could be applied to abortion. Writing for the majority, Justice Blackman stated, the court held a woman's right to an abortion was implicit in the right to privacy and protected. However, the court went further in actually establishing law by specifically giving states certain rights to control legal abortions after the first trimester. Then in 1992, the case Planned Parenthood versus Casey, the court reaffirmed abortions, but also gave the states more rights to control abortion law. More history on the original case and the personalities involved can be researched on the internet. Number two, what was the recent case that made the issue of abortion resurface? The actual details of the case argued between December of 2021 and June of 2022 can be seen, again, through research on the Internet. Basically, the case of Dobbs versus Jackson's Women's Health, summarized, was ironically the only remaining abortion clinic in the state, suing the Attorney General's office, challenging Mississippi's law prohibiting abortions after the 15th week. It was that challenge which ultimately led to the Supreme Court overturning Roe v. Wade. Number three, what changed at the Supreme Court that made them reject Roe v. Wade after so many years? It's true that under the Trump's presidency, the court shifted from a more liberal makeup to a more conservative position. This transition in constitutional terms can be more accurately defined as a move from a modernist position to a more originalist position by by adjudicating current cases based more on the intent of the original framers than than based on our current cultural norms. So number four, who voted which way? In the final vote, Roe versus Wade was overturned by five to four. Justice Clarence Thomas, Neil Gorsuch, Brent Kavanaugh, and Amy Coney Barrett joined Alito's written major opinion. Justices Stephen Breyer, Sonia Sotomayor, and Elaine Kagan 
Elena Kagan, voted in opposition. Interestingly, Chief Justice John Roberts agreed with the majority in this specific case, but was not in favor of overturning Roe. He wrote a separate opinion and consequently was considered part of the no vote. The actual majority opinion written by Justice Samuel Alito can be seen on the internet again. Number five, why did the Supreme Court reject Roe versus Wade this time around? From an originalist's perspective, the court sided with the Tenth Amendment, which ensures individual states the right to set laws unless specifically prohibited by the Constitution. We now have a court that is weighted toward originalism in interpreting the intent of the Constitution rather than imposing their personal moral views on the country, which was what happened the first time around. Wasn't Roe versus Wade already settled law? There's been an assumption that after nearly 50 years since Roe versus Wade, a woman's right to an abortion should be considered settled law on, federal, on a federal level. This issue was brought up during the Supreme Court nomination confirmation hearings during the Trump administration, both publicly and privately. The question is not so much what the prospective justices said, more than the definition of settled law. In most basic terms, it can be defined as a law that has been on the books for many years, challenged and affirmed, and settled by the general public. Clearly, the first two hurdles have been met. The third provision, settled by the general public, however, has never been fully resolved. In Justice Alito's majority opinion, he stated that Roe and Casey versus Planned Parenthood must be overturned. The Constitution makes no references to abortion and no such right is implicitly protected by any constitutional provision, unquote. Alito went on to call Roe versus Wade, quote, egregiously wrong from the start, unquote, with exceptionally weak reasoning and damaging consequences. Number seven, what did Ruth Bader Ginsburg actually say regarding her concern over Roe versus Wade? Even though Ruth Bader Ginsburg was a strong advocate of women's rights and pro-choice, she was quoted as fearing the premise on which Roe v. Wade ruling was established was faulty and therefore open to being revisited. In her now famous quote from a lecture at New York University, she said, quote, Doctrinal limbs too swiftly shaped may prove unstable, unquote in reference to the application of the 14th Amendment in support of Roe v. Wade. Number eight, what is falsely being promoted by the liberal media and many pro-choice advocates? For some pro-choice advocates, the overturning of Roe v. Wade has more to do with false concerns over the establishment of a Christian theocracy than anything related to states' rights. A quote from one of my uh, other blog comments, which can be found on www.bcworldview.org, is religious views were forced upon all people with a new abortion law. This is getting really annoying. Religious people should leave their toys and rituals at home, unquote, from a commenter on, on one of my posts. Again, it's undeniable that there was a change in the personality of the court from liberal to conservative, 
Further, it's true that a higher percentage of Christians are conservative. However, the fact that the court's recent ruling agrees with a biblical Christian worldview on the matter is ancillary and immaterial to the basis of the ruling as written in the majority opinion. Liberals and their media accolades will complain that religion has crept into the court system, but this correlation was not the basis for the overturning of Roe v. Wade. It was, as it always should be, based on what the framers of the Constitution intended, plus amendments approved by Congress. Imposing evolving societal morals and actually making laws based on what trimester was in play is not the role of the Supreme Court. Laws are made by Congress, not the judicial branch of government. Number nine, what are the choices women have since this overturning of Roe versus Wade? As much as the media and pro-choice advocates paint a cataclysmic impact of the recent Supreme Court decision, the reality is much less severe. As of 2020, approximately 54% of abortions are being self-administered in in homes by women using abortion pills, prescribed by their doctors, and teledoctors. This has already caused the closure of many abortion clinics across the country. It's likely that the pill will remain available even in the states that set guidelines prohibiting it based on the age of the fetus. Illegal access will also increase, which is of concern given their questionable sources. It's also true that the overturning of Roe v. Wade will disproportionately impact those with lower socioeconomic status who are less likely to seek alternatives. This will have a compounding consequence on our social welfare system, the magnitude of which remains to be seen. Further, there are many large companies, states, and local support agencies, as well as nonprofits who are offering transport and increased financial help and pregnancy counseling for those wishing to have abortion in states which might otherwise restrict them. It's likely true, however, that the current trend in fewer abortions will continue in light of the Supreme Court decision. Number 10, what will the impact be in the short term? In the short term, there will be further conflict and polarization between pro-life and pro-choice advocates. It will be another summer of unrest with both groups combative toward each other. Further, with the Democrats looking for a distraction from the inflation and economy issues, the overturning of Roe versus Wade will be in competition with Trump bashing for airtime on liberal media platforms. The conservatives will respond in kind, further polarizing the nation. Since abortion is now clearly a state's right issue, there will be increasing local polarization and injection of advertising dollars as we approach elections in November of this year. Number 11, (coughs) excuse me, what will the impact be in the midterm? After experiencing a 2024 spike in rhetoric, we will likely settle into a new normal on the subject of abortion in America. States will affirm their laws on the subject And while there will always be political debate, given the nature of the subject matter, it will hopefully become more civil and balanced. What will be most interesting is the impact of societal geographic transitions. There's been a movement in this country by individuals seeking states and communities which are more in line with their worldview. 
We see this in the increasing populations of Florida and Texas, for example. Further, companies are relocating their major hubs due to increasing crime rates, taxes, and varying cost of living for their employees. Abortion rights will likely further accentuate this polarization. For many years, we have become more and more a nation of tribes, each listening to its own reaffirming newscasts and living in our own social bubbles. As a result, Supreme Court decisions impact on state-by-state basis. The country will become further isolated from itself. Number 12. What does this mean for biblical Christians? As biblical Christians, we believe the Bible is the inerrant truth of God written as both a textbook and love letter for mankind. We believe life begins inside the womb and as such should be encouraged by the recent overturn of Roe v. Wade as a federal mandate. However, we need to remember that the court was not acting on our behalf when it made its judgment. The decision was a question of states' rights based on the Tenth Commandment, sorry, (laughs) based on the Tenth Amendment, versus women's privacy based on the Fourteenth Amendment. There will be many who suggest otherwise, but we need to show love and compassion for those who disagree with our worldview. God calls every Christian to share the good news of Jesus Christ and to not get into the weeds of divisive issues such as abortion. We know that we believe and we know why we believe it. And if forced to defend our views, we should. However, we need to remember who we were before the Holy Spirit entered our lives and recognize that until someone accepts Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord and subsequently places God's word above mankind's morality, it's futile to argue about pro-life versus pro-choice with those who oppose us. The following are some scripture verses that many biblical Christians believe provide support for our understanding of God's position on life beginning in the womb. Luke 1.41 And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Psalm 139.13 And following, For you formed me, my inner parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb, I praise you. For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it well. Jeremiah 1.5 Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Psalm 139.16 Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your, book, in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. Galatians 1.5 But when he who has set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace. Isaiah 44.2 Thus says the Lord who made you, who formed you from the womb, will help you bear fruit. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, Jerusalem, whom I have chosen, or Jeshurun. Isaiah 49.1, the servant of the Lord, listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother, he named my name. Job 31.15, did not he who made me in the womb make him, and did not one fashion us in the womb? Isaiah 44.24, 
Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, who formed you in the womb, I made, or I am the Lord, who made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself. It's wrong to kill innocent people, and innocent people include the unborn. Exodus 23, 7. Keep far from a false charge and do not kill the innocent and righteous, for I will not acquit the wicked. Proverbs 6.16 There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. Exodus 20.13 You shall not murder. God bless you as you serve him today. Today's podcast article was brought to you by bcworldview.org, providing honest reporting and analysis on the intersection of contemporary issues and theology based on a biblical Christian worldview. May God bless you as you continue to walk through this life with our Savior and Lord.